You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh boy, we got a show for you tonight. We'll be trying to pay attention to all the stories we got to cover while also keeping an eye on the first game of the Women's Final Four on ESPN tonight. We've also got some awesome mega cast type productions alongside Super Dana Tarasi doing a show with their commentary on ESPNU at the same time as the game. So all eyes on the Target Center in Minneapolis for Louisville, South Carolina, two one seeds meeting in the first half of the Final Four, UConn, Stanford later tonight, also on ESPN. We're going to get into that. We've also got NFL news, some interesting changes to baseball, uh, and, of course, NBA uh, as we're getting down to the wire in the regular season. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, as always, Teron Davenport, filling in for Fitz last minute here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Teron, always grateful when we can go to the bullpen and call you up. That's right. This call to the bullpen is brought to you by, I don't know, whoever wants to write the check for me. But, hey, man, right, right. I am really happy Throw someone to, out there. to I mean, come on. With, hey, listen, you got to have all. someone in mind when you say that so that all there's a chance they might come. be listening. Listen, you know? No no free shout-outs. You got to okay, pay me to mention. It's a Friday. <laughs> yeah, you could, I, I would have gone with your favorite liquor provider and see if they want to hook it up on this Friday evening. Uh, let's get to some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I mentioned the first half of the Final Four starts any moment. Now, coverage is already underway on ESPN as they preview this Louisville-South Carolina game. We know that all of the matchups in the Final Four on the women's side are packed with excellent defense. So the question Mm -hmm. is, which of the teams involved can possibly muster enough offense against those incredible defensive teams to to, to get it done? And I think for Louisville, the biggest problem is going to be who can support Haley Van Liff. We have not seen Emily Alston be able to play the way that we expected in this tournament. And... If Haley Van Lith is left out there to mostly try to handle things on her own against an SC team that has been unbelievable defensively, it's going to make things a whole lot tougher for this Louisville team. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I think, you know, when you look at South Carolina, they're battle-tested. Uh, their head coach, I, I, I love the intensity that she has mm-hmm. them play with. Uh, Dawn Staley, she is, a, you know, a, a Philly a Philly. Uh, based person so you know I I have to root for her but you're right I I think when you look at just how this matchup works it's going to be a tough one for Louisville I actually think that South Carolina ends up winning it all to be honest with you interesting yeah I mean certainly that's a team that while they've had their struggles offensively defensively no one's come even close it's just been uh absolutely a a a workshop from from SC On, on the Louisville side you know this is a team that um comes in with no fear, and that stems from Van Lith. That stems from uh, the swagger that she brings. Some really excellent storytelling around the Women's Final Four this year, too. I feel like we've gotten to know a lot of players outside of the usual. There's always complaints about UConn getting all the shine, and, and for good reason, a 14th straight Final Four will do that for you. But we're hearing about Aaliyah Boston, who swept the Naismith Awards. We're hearing about Haley Van Lith's incredible journey with her dad coaching her, Kobe taking an interest and helping mentor her, um, and, and, and you know, Destiny Henderson, what is she going to do? Zaya Cook, what can they do alongside Aaliyah Boston if Louisville tries to shut down uh, the player of the year tonight? So 
That's going to be a good game. I anticipate a tighter game in the second game of the evening, but we will wait and get to that a little bit closer to tip off for that UConn-Stanford game. Again, that's at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Louisville, South Carolina is starting any minute here on ESPN television, and Super Dinah Tarazi going to have a whole bunch of great guests on with them on ESPNU. So uh, feel free to tune into some of that, of course, during the commercial breaks of our show. Uh, never at the same time. Never in favor <laughs> of, of, of listening to us. Um you actually, uh, we were talking before the show, uh, part of your interest in the women's Final Four and women's hoop stems from your alma mater, right? Yes, that is correct. Since we're talking about Final Four, back in uh, 1982, Cheney University, my alma mater, was the first and only historically black college to make it to the Final Four. Now, they mm. ended up losing uh, in, in the finals, in the final game, but... No other school has made it since good old Cheney University. But unfortunately, that program was shut down last year. They're mm-hmm. working to get it back up in, in 2023. So, you know, my my uh, my wishes are that they could get that thing going. Vivian Stringer back in the day. That's right. It's actually a really great story I read today. I recommend it. It's on andscape.com. That's the new name for ESPN's The Undefeated. And a really good story by William Roden about – when the NCAA took over the women's tournament from the AIAW. whole bunch of stuff in that story that I had no idea about. And as we're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Title IX, also worth looking at the 40th anniversary of the NCAA being in charge of the women's uh, college basketball tournament. We're going to get to some of the ways that they have not done right by that acquisition a little later in the show. Though we got to talk about Giannis last night. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. Is it too late for Giannis to get back in the MVP conversation? Not because he needs to do a whole bunch more and is going to run out of time, but because sometimes it feels like the voters have an idea in their mind of what the battle is all about, and it's felt for a long time that that battle was a two-man race between Embiid and Jokic, and that Mm -hmm. Jokic was pulling ahead. But you got Giannis doing big things, particularly against big opponents. In his last couple games against some of the other top players in the league, He's been unstoppable. Cope, uh, LeBron, Durant, and Embiid. Giannis has had 40 and 14, 44 and 14, 44 and 14 against all of them, all of them Ws. Um, yeah. That's him showing up against the best. Do you think it's too late, though, uh, for the MVP voters? I don't think it's too late. And I think that he's doing this at the perfect time because you're leading right into, you know, when that, that uh, award is going to be given. And I, I mean, you look at last night. He dropped 44. He had to come up big, right, when uh, Chris Middleton was ejected, you know, for that ridiculous foul. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he needs to be fined for that, by the way. But, you know, Giannis came in, and and his Robin was out. He he came in, and he he held it. And I think that's what an MVP does. He elevates his game whenever necessary. And as you mentioned, he's done so well against other players. You know, I watched that that Sixers game. He dominated that game. You, You know what I mean? And uh, he even dunked on on uh, Embiid in that game as well. So I mean, yeah, look, he he definitely should be mentioned, and I think it's it's perfect timing for him. Yeah, I, uh, I think we've been talking about it on this show the last few days. The Bucks have sort of lost out on a lot of airtime because they don't have enough drama. Everybody's mm-hmm. showing up for work. <laughs> Everybody's getting vaccinated. Nobody wants yeah. to be traded. Nobody's gotten injured. Nobody's fighting with each other on the sidelines and throwing clipboards. They're just playing good basketball like we've seen them do for a number of years now. And looking to defend that title, we may have overlooked them occasionally because there weren't those debatable talking points. But Jay Williams on KJ and Max this morning said, 
Giannis is still the guy. Watching the game, Jay, what did it tell you? What was at stake, and what did that game tell you? That Giannis is the guy in the NBA. The NBA is his. Like, I'm, I'm giving him the crown right now. Now, you guys know how analytical I am as it relates to how athletes, I think, think of the best ultimate skill set. But there's nobody more dominant than this dude in the game. So dominance has to equate to the best in the game, right? Uh, and what I've seen from Giannis in this three-way head-up matchup against KD this year when they've been able to meet, Giannis averaging 34 12-7 on 59% oh. shooting. Filthy. Now, with what Giannis did last year and Kevin Durant, even though he had an incredible game, missing that shot down the stretch to win the game, right? And then seeing KD miss shots last night, I feel like Giannis's game is ascending, where I feel like KD's game is kind of hovering. Yeah, it's certainly going to affect you health-wise, especially with someone like KD in this race. But it also affects you when you're just the guy who's won it a bunch. Teron, we saw this all the time with guys like Michael Jordan, Kobe, LeBron. If you're just great and you've already won a couple MVPs, sometimes they just give it to someone else to switch things up. And he might be suffering a bit from that after already winning it twice. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you take the greatness for granted when it's so consistent. And that, that's definitely something that could happen. You look at Aaron Donald with the Defensive Player of the mm -hmm. uh, Year awards. Like, he should win it every year, basically. But... It doesn't work out that way because they want to see something different. So that's a great point. We got some good games tonight. Suns at Grizzlies, 8 Eastern. Clippers at Bucks at 8 Eastern. Everybody is sitting for that game. I would list them all, but the show would be over. You could Google it. <laughs> Everybody is out for Clippers-Bucks tonight. T-Wolves and Nuggets at 9. And Pelicans at Lakers, 10.30 p.m. LeBron and AD probably back. And that is a huge one as they jockey for position down at the bottom of the East. Uh, sorry, West playoff standings. The Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromises. Coming up, U.S. men's national team has learned their draw for the World Cup. What does it look like? And more quickies next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Huge weekend for sports as we get the final four for the women underway right now. South Carolina up 11-2 on Louisville early in that one. Second game of the women's tournament tonight and then tomorrow. I don't know if you heard about it. Tiny little game between UNC Duke. Uh, among the uh, the men's, also Kansas Villanova. With, uh, you know, so much busyness, we have to s just cram a whole bunch of stories in that we got to get to today. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport, in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. When we got too many stories and not enough time, it's Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. The World Cup draw. I was in the midst of around the horning, so I wasn't able to watch, but I heard it was a long, very dragged out uh, ceremony to get the World Cup draw. Idris Elba was there, I believe. There were some videos about Qatar. But in the end, we do find out the U.S. draw. Group B against England, Iran, and the winner of the last remaining European playoff, uh, which will be um, either uh, Scotland versus Ukraine, the winner of that one versus Wales. Uh, so either Wales or the winner of Scotland, Ukraine will be the final one. Obviously, Toronto, if Ukraine is the winner, there's a massive storyline there mm -hmm. um, with all that's going on out there. And USA, England to take place the day after Thanksgiving. The content machine is already smoking. It's overflowing with potential <laughs> content. American Eagles, American flag speedos, uh, the, you know, the British are coming. Like Whatever it is, there's, uh, there's a lot a lot that we could get into there. 
Yeah, without a doubt. And just, you know, the thing that I love about that is the fact that these two teams have history. So I, I'm looking forward to, to that match. And uh, like you said, it, it's it's going to be a big-time big time battle. But I, I just also, you can't forget about, you know, France as well. I mean, that's and they're not in that group. But, hey, what happens if, if they are somebody that, that the U.S. has to meet up with later? It'd be great if the U.S. had to meet up with anyone later because that would mean they made it out of their group. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> that, is, uh, that is something we're looking forward to as the men continue to try to uh, improve year after year. Next story. Quickies. We're watching uh, MLB uh, kind of get ready and ramp up for a late starting regular season. As spring training is winding down, we're learning about some new rules and changes. And one announced today is that umpires were ne- will now be equipped with on-field microphones so that they can tell the crowd and the television audience about replay reviews. So that's starting at the spring training games this weekend and uh, will continue through the season. I love this because there were so many questions about it in some really important moments to run. And we also have gotten so much, so used to transparency across other sports to the point where, you know, there's a Twitter account just to let you know what went wrong and what went right. There's the five minute report, two minute report. There's a, there's all these opportunities for us to at least be able to be given the closure of them saying human error, whoops, a daisy. And an MLB in the moment, even we have the time didn't know what happened. I like that transparency but the thing that's interesting to me is just this is a game that they're trying to speed up right you got the little clock there and in, in, in the outfield that, that you see um, they're trying to speed the game up so I would imagine the explanation you know taking the extra time to do that will will slow it down so it's kind of two things working against yeah, each other. yeah I think it'll opinion. be pretty rare though there aren't that many reviews in baseball you know what I mean it's not it's not the same as some other ones and assuming that they get into a rhythm I think it'll go pretty quickly and it will just assuage some of the tensions about never knowing what the hell just happened uh next story quickies I hate to do this to you I think you're a Mets fan I don't know how that's possible for anyone anymore but Jacob deGrom Getting an MRI after tightness in his shoulder. He will not make his scheduled spring start on Friday, and he will not be the starter for opening day. A stress reaction in his right scapula, sources tell Jeff Passan. Unclear timetable to return, but expected to miss a significant amount of time to start the 2022 season. Uh, I know this tends to happen. Not only disappointment for the Mets in a, just a general way, but specifically DeGrom not always being available. You got thoughts mm-hmm. on it? Here we go again. That's pretty <laughs> much it. Uh, it definitely breaks my heart to to uh, to read that, you know. And I guess the consolation prize is Max Scherzer will start on uh, on the opener. So that that's something to, to hang your hat on. But, I mean, that whole – they paired those two together mm-hmm. to have a dominant top of the rotation – uh, type of a uh, one-two punch, and here it is. Like yeah. anything else with my Mets, we're not allowed to have anything good. Maybe it's a, a good plan to just get the the, the 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 disappointment and the sadness done with early. And yeah, then, you know, I mean, it happens after that is gravy. <laughs> true that, true that, because uh, usually in July that's when it happens. There's a right. there's actually a meme of, of uh, with a picture of Tiger Woods, two different pictures of Tiger Woods. Uh, one was his mugshot when he when he had the uh, when he got arrested, and the other one was him smiling. And that was it. Said Mets fans in April, Mets fans in July. Right, so right. True. And 
it's often a thing for the Mariners, right? Like you can't get excited about a hot start because you know how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got to ask yourself, do I enjoy this now, knowing what's to come? <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport, in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Next story. Quickies. So Hope Solo, who had issues with uh, a, a domestic violence incident that was not partner-related, intimate partner-related, but was familial uh, a couple years ago, is back in the news for all the wrong reasons. She was reportedly arrested yesterday in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, on suspicion of driving while intoxicated, resisting arrest, and misdemeanor child abuse. According to reports, she was in a Walmart parking lot with two young children in the car. I don't know if it was her children uh a combination of her child and a friend or otherwise, but allegedly um, there was uh, an, uh, uh, a passerby who noticed that she was passed out behind the steering wheel for more than an hour with the engine running and the kids in the back seat. Responding officers smelled alcohol, then she refused a field sobriety test um, and allegedly resisted arrest. Um, Tron, I, I imagine there's going to be a lot more details that come out after this. Uh, her attorney said that the story is much more sympathetic than the initial charges would suggest. It certainly sounds like it's a good sign she wasn't driving while impaired with the children, but still in the car and you don't know what led up to it or what might have followed if not for the arrest. And um, see, she just seems like she needs she needs help and she needs accountability because you fear for the safety of those kids with the other incidents that have happened between mm-hmm. her and her husband. That's the first step, in my opinion, the accountability. You have to realize that there is an issue at hand and uh, before that could happen, it doesn't matter how much help you get, you're not going to be able to, to benefit from it. So I just I think it's it's extremely poor judgment. And uh, to be passed out, it, I mean, I'm kind of at a loss for words because, right. it, you know, you got kids in the car, you're, you're in a parking lot, you're passed out. You know what what could happen? Right. So many different things. So yeah. I just think it's irresponsible. And it's just something that she has. She has to realize that change has to happen, and immediately. Uh, she not only was involved in that family altercation, but she was suspended from U.S. Soccer back in 2015 uh-huh. after she and her husband were pulled over, and her husband was charged with DUI. So um, she's been in the news for this kind of thing many times, and it certainly feels like uh, there needs to be some sort of uh, recognition of, of, of a problem that, that she gets to the bottom of. Uh, final story. Quickies. It's not as much of a story as we it was today when uh when we all thought that the tiger woods being on the list for the masters many was for sure playing we've all been assured doesn't mean as much as we thought now we uh now we wait and see still to see if tiger will end up participating obviously a huge story if the 15 time major winner comes back and there are sources saying that his golf game is quote all back which has people pretty excited ahead of augusta but Tehran, we still have to wait yeah, we do have to wait. But for me, the major thing is that we could just even talk about him, you know, coming back after, you know, that yeah, that accident he had. So. Completely agree. Uh, coming up, what are we supposed to make of the Lakers season? Brian Windhorst is going to tell us coming up next year. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio on a Friday. Teron Davenport in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Lots of NBA action tonight and lots of focus on these final regular season games as we try to figure out what the heck the postseason is going to look like to help us wade through it all. ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst joins us now. You can listen to Windy and the Hoop Collective wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, let's start with the story that you wrote about the Lakers. LeBron kind of having some fun with April Fool's Day, saying he's shutting it down for the season. Many have said perhaps he and Anthony Davis should. Instead, we'll see them back. 
Is there any chance this team can cause any noise in the postseason if they're both healthy? I mean, I just because their only option, Sarah, is to advance to play Phoenix. Mm. I can't, in good faith, tell you that I think they could do it. If there was a different matchup, and you're talking about LeBron at the top of his game and AD at the top of his, could I see some sort of miracle? Yeah, but like at this point, them getting into the playoffs, getting the eighth seed is a huge win and it's really just an um it illustrates how far this mm. has been a fall <laughs> that lebron and ad are you know saving themselves up to play this game against the pelicans tonight to try to get the 10th seed versus where they were six months ago thinking about winning the championship i know you could probably talk brian to the rest of this show about what went wrong but just in a nutshell like if you had to just kind of hone in on, on what has gone wrong with this team that was supposed to you know be a contender what has gone wrong with them this season three things it's actually relatively simple one westbrook was a poor fit mm. uh two acquiring westbrook cleared out um a lot of the defensive core that the Lakers um, had built. They were the number one defensive team last season in the whole league for the whole year. And they traded away three players, a couple of them really good defenders, and then they let Alex Caruso walk. So you get Westbrook, who's a bad foot, and then you, I think as of this morning, they were 23rd in defense. First to 23rd, okay? And then the third thing is Anthony Davis gets hurt. Um, if Anthony Davis didn't get hurt, they would not be 23rd in defense, but they wouldn't be first. Yeah. And if Anthony Davis doesn't get hurt, they wouldn't be fighting for the 10th seed, but they also wouldn't be fighting for the first seed. The, 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 first, two can't, the first two issues were within their control, and, and those were pretty big mistakes. Brian Windhorst with us here on Spain and Fitz. You know, a lot of people were focused on Doc's comment last night. It was more hardened. It felt like an unfinished statement that when they asked about poor shooting and blamed it on the bench, his point was simply that Harden was the one who did most of the shooting there. Uh, the bench didn't get a lot of shots up in order to be blamed for that stretch. I thought the more important statement was him talking about the offense just standing around, which is sometimes a problem if James Harden is the focus, particularly the way he's played lately, where you're just not seeing that aggressive offensive takeover ability that he used to have. What do you actually see from the Sixers team now that we've had long enough with Harden in the mix with Embiid in terms of expectations for the postseason? Well, I've seen them. So they've lost, I think they're five and six or something like that in their last 11. As we've watched Milwaukee get rolling, Boston be very good, and you know Miami maintain the number one seed. So they're going the wrong direction. And I think in four of those five losses, they've blown double-digit leads. Mm-hmm. And this is a terrible, uh, you know, trend, especially when you look at the history of Doc Rivers in the postseason. So that is extremely worrisome. There are red, there are red flags, and James Harden's fourth quarter performances um, during this stretch are very worrisome. And you know, uh, yes, sometimes uh, the offense will get stagnant with Harden, but when Harden is playing at the level he has been for the last, you know, seven to ten years. It's something that you're that you can accept. You can't accept it when he's not playing that way. So, um, you know, Philly right now. If you're a team that's if you're Toronto, if you're Chicago, if you're you know uh, 
one of those teams that's sort of in the back of the East race there, Charlotte or something, you're thinking to yourself, is there any way we can get Philly in the first round? Mm. Not because they think that they can beat them, but just because they see where Miami, where Boston, where Milwaukee is, and they think that Philly is the weakest one. And that's not a good sign to have when you are facing the biggest and toughest gauntlet the East playoffs has seen in, in a couple of generations. Being from the city of Philadelphia, I know that the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. And you look at when Harden first got there, you know, it, it was it was party all over the place. You know, they had the, the win streak and everything was good. So my question to you is, with this going the way it is, how it's tumbling, do you feel like it's a situation where that honeymoon is kind of over? The, you know, the way Harden is playing right now is not what worries me. What worries me is what's going to happen this summer. And this is the thing that I was pointing out when Harden Sixers trades were beginning to be discussed. Because you weren't just trading for James Harden. You were trading for James Harden and expressing a willingness to pay him $240 million. Because that is what he is going to want in a max contract this summer. So when you look at a guy playing this level right now at age 32 and you are you've already decided you're giving him the money it's decided and that is what makes me worry of course this season is uh, important you're going to try to do what you can here but you have a window here with Embiid with Maxi um you know you 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 have you know with maybe something that you can trade Tobias Harris for if you don't decide to keep him but that can come around your neck like a stone if if that contract doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what I'd be worried about if I was a Sixer fan. It's Spain and Fitz. Tron Davenport in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio as we talk to Brian Windhorse, ESPN NBA insider. You can follow him at Windhorse ESPN. Uh, Giannis passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, franchise scoring leader for the Bucks. He's on a incredible run especially against top opponents of late is it too late for him to really convince mvp voters that may have already made up their mind that it's a two-man race yes Sarah. this is a really interesting one so this race is relatively close it's closer right now than it was a year ago when Jokic and Embiid were going head to head and tim bontemps at espn does a straw poll um where he polls likely MVP voters, 100 of them. There's only 100 voters. It's not like the Heisman, where there's 1,500 voters. You know, you get 15 people. You get 15% of the the voting block to change their mind. Um, It's just 15 people, and that can change the whole race. So I'm telling you that Giannis, as of the straw poll that came out earlier this week, is in a distant third place. He got, out of the 100 voters that he polled, he got nine first-place votes, and Jokic got 62. So you're talking about a massive ground to make up. But it's not impossible. Um, I'm not telling you to go out and make a, a bet on, on Giannis. I know that his number is like plus 700 or plus 800 in some places. But, you know, Tim really knows this. He has correctly called the MVP um, uh, weeks in advance, the last three years, because he does this poll. As soon as he put the poll out, the, the odds in Vegas um, switched because they know the value of this poll. But he is saying he's not calling it for Jokic yet. A year ago, he put put it to bed at this point, said Jokic is winning, forget about it, cash your ticket. 
He's not doing that, and he knows. So Interesting. Um, I don't think it's likely, but I do think it's not impossible. What do you make of the Celtics? Because, you know, we talk about the East, and they're a team that doesn't really get, get mentioned among the best, and they're, they're right there. What do you make of them and, and their chances to come out the East? Well, the, the injury to Robert Williams, it hurts. It really hurts um, because their defense has been, um, you know, in, in the second half of this season, in the first half of the season we saw scoring go way down because the way the game was officiated. The second half of the season, we have seen immense scoring. I mean, just look at the scoring leaders. We got three guys over 30 points a game. That hasn't happened in like 17, 15 or 17 years or something like that. And yet, during that time, Boston has played some of the best defense we've seen in the last decade. So if you grade it on a curve, their defensive um, ability it absolutely gets your attention. And a team that's going to have to win 12 games, in a conference where you've got Milwaukee, you've got Brooklyn, you've got Miami, you've got Philadelphia. Uh, I mean, you know, go beat um, Toronto uh, four out of seven. I would pick them, but it, it ain't going to be easy. The defense is what's going to carry the day. So their, their weakness is their depth. They just don't have much. They only really play like seven and a half guys. I think when we get into the key playoffs, you're going to see – Ime Udoka only really plays seven guys. An eighth guy will maybe wander around out there for five minutes. And so any injury hits them very hard. And so to lose Robert Williams, it, it, it makes me just stutter a little bit when, when saying I think that they, they can win the East. I really sort of had them in Milwaukee as neck and neck. Um, now I think Milwaukee has an edge. I know that they say Robert Williams will be back in the second round, but there's no such thing as minor knee surgery, so that could right. end up being a big factor. Hmm. Awesome stuff, Wendy. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Brian Windhorst, listen to Wendy and the Hoop Collective wherever you listen to podcasts. Spain and Fitz. Bucks are hoping Giannis can remain in the zone when they take on Luca and the Mavs on Sunday. Get in the Zone is brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the Zone, AutoZone. Interesting thoughts about Giannis and that MVP race. Coming up, is the storybook ending for Coach K going to come true? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This women's Final Four game is wild. It is tied 24-all, and Haley Van Lith has zero points. If you told me that there were four minutes to play in the second quarter and Haley would have zero points, I would think that South Carolina was absolutely running away with this game. But Ensler must have heard me talking smack in the first segment about how she hasn't showed up and she's been shooting poorly because here she comes, shooting 50% from the field with 10 points. Uh, 24-24 in that game right now. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Tron Davenport filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Uh, Women's Final Four tonight. We've got Louisville, South Carolina now. UConn against defending champion Stanford later tonight. Paige Becker's got to play in Bridgeport, Connecticut the whole tournament. And guess where they go for the Final Four? Ten minutes away from where she grew up in Minneapolis. She is home court gal all tournament long so we'll get excited for that one later but we got men's final four tomorrow and that UConn or sorry that UNC Duke game that everyone's been talking about Teron it feels like all season long after coach K announced this would be his last season he's been trying to convince us it's not about him and yet the more he says it the more he makes it about him here he is today talking about his storybook career and the potential ending coming tomorrow or in the championship to have a storybook 
because <laughs> I wanted to coach one more year, and I wanted to have a good succession plan for 32 games. And my guys have been terrific. Any emotion that I've shown, it's not been because it's my last season. If you're, it's your last season, you're really a selfish person. And uh, although there are people out there that think I am, in this respect, I am not. I, I've always taught that shared emotion is the best. And to be able to share that emotion and accomplishment with these, uh, these, these guys has been, uh, been really good. Shared emotion is the best. I quoted Coach K on Around the Horn today when I was dressed as him with the actual line that he said, making shots matters, but not as much as the people who make them. Uh, he's always ready with a line for you. What do you make of what he said here? No, I like what he said, honestly. And that's just typical. You look at the great coaches. They always want to deflect the attention from themselves, and that's exactly what you're seeing here. But, look, end of the day, this is what it's about. You know, Coach K – and his possible last game, and I think that's really the, the story. And, and I know that he wants to kind of pull away from it, but you, you can't. It is what it is. I am 100% here for the meeting tomorrow. I am 100% here for the overhyping of it in a way that I'm usually not for things like this. I just I don't know that his insistence over and over that it's not about him actually makes it feel like less about him. This is a guy who said, you know, Duke has such high expectations that we only put up banners for national titles, nothing else. But there's a banner about him. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, eh. so. Um, just embrace it. <laughs> just, yeah. You don't need to say so many times it's not about you because it's almost like he's deflecting, expecting people to say he's making it about himself. Just let it ride. It's going to be about you when you've had a career like you've had. Right. It's going to be about you when you end, it, uh, end up in the final four against your biggest rival, particularly the way things went down in the last game at Cameron. So just stop saying it and just, and just ride it. That's how I feel. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. That's exactly what it needs to do. Just go ahead and embrace it. But I, I tell you, you know, there's there's another game over there, and Jay mm -hmm. Wright is a pretty good coach with Villanova, so I want to see what, what they do as well. Yeah, I completely agree. And interesting, I heard, I think it was uh, KJ and Max talking uh, this morning about it. You know, right now Jay Wright's at two titles already. Mm -hmm. Coach K is at five. If Villanova wins this year, Five to three is not a gap that feels insurmountable for Jay Wright to somehow finish his career with more or the same as Coach K. Yeah. Meanwhile, two to six, that feels a lot tougher to get four more at, at 60, even if he coaches another 15 years or so like Coach K. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport in for Fitz tonight. I was also, in addition to listening to Key J and Max today, listening to ESPN Daily. And you guys who listen to the show know that I pretty much tell you every day how much I listen to this podcast. Mm -hmm. I find it incredibly informative. And today's especially, I would really recommend... It dives into the inequality issues in the women's tournament compared to the men's. And last year was a real boiling point for it. Um, Sedona Prince's uh, TikTok about the pathetic excuse for a weight room and the food yeah, and the swag bags, yeah. the other coaches who talked about it. And the NCAA, for its part, did what most big organizations do. They paid a whole ton of money to a law firm to investigate how they could be better. Again, earlier I said 40 years of the NCAA being in charge of the women's tournament, which means 40 years of a 50-year-old law in Title IX that they have not complied with. They have been illegal in their handling of the tournament, and that was exposed more than anything else in the report that was released that included the statement that they had undervalued the women's tournament by a potential $60 million a year. 
But more importantly is how the books are cooked and the statements are released to continue the completely wrong narrative that the women's tournament is a money loser. And for a little more on that, here's what Dan Murphy Murphy said today on that ESPN Daily podcast. The NCAA is far from maximizing the value it could be getting out of this if they really invested properly in what this tournament could be. So explain for us how the NCAA could be investing more and why structurally they're not. Like, how did we get to this sort of an arrangement? So when it comes down to the money, there are three big buckets that we should probably look at. First is how they measure the money that comes in. Second is how they maximize that money. And third is how they distribute that to try to incentivize further investments. So Pablo, let's start with how they measure this money. Most of what the NCAA's income comes from their humongous television contract with CBS and Turner Sports. They get about a billion dollars a year as a part of this deal. And in exchange, CBS and Turner get both the rights to broadcast all the men's games, but they also have the right to sell corporate sponsorships for every NCAA championship and event. So if you want to sponsor an NCAA championship, you can't just decide I'm going to sponsor NCAA soccer championships or field hockey or women's basketball. You have to sponsor, be a corporate partner for all 90 of the NCAA championships. And all of that money gets directed through the CBS Turner contract and all of it gets credited to the men's basketball tournament for money they bring in. Whereas if you just want to sponsor the women's tournament, none of that shows up on the balance sheet as money that the women have helped to earn. So Hmm. just to clarify again, the system is set up so that they vastly underpay for the rights to the women's tournament in terms of stuff like TV rights. And then the money that they actually do bring in never gets recorded. It goes on the docket is what the men do. And so it continues all the conversations we have across multiple women's sports where the lie is that they make no money while we don't go digging to actually find the truth. Yeah, that's just a mess. And I, I think it also comes down to, you know, the I saw a study where in 2018 and 19, they, they rated like how the spending is is on each athlete and it was almost forty three hundred dollars as compared to twenty five hundred for for women so that's yeah what you get out of it is what you put into it they need to put more into it yeah that's what we say all the time it's like giving your son five dollars and your daughter a dollar and coming back in a year and asking why his business is doing so much better and you repeat it over and over ad nauseum for literally a century and you then, then we ask the same questions as if we don't know better. It's uh, Spain and Fitz, Teron Davenport in for Fitz. We're going to update you on Louisville, South Carolina at the half, get you ready for the men's final four that starts tomorrow. It's all coming up. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Keep you updated on that women's final four, 34-28, South Carolina up on Louisville at the half. We got UConn Stanford later. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Tron Davenport in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. I kicked Tron out for a minute. I'm happy to welcome in John Crispin, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. Okay, we're one day away, John. Duke, UNC. The stories write themselves. You look back at the meeting at Cameron Indoor Stadium, not only the result, but the fact that Coach K gave that sort of inspiring movie-like speech, but the season's not over. So here we are, a meeting in a final four game for the ages. What's the key for Duke to get the win? 
Well, I think you've got to, first off, you've got to have focused motivation. And that's one of the things that Coach K will never get enough credit for because we're not in the locker room with him, but he's one of the best motivators in all of sports. And it's not just about motivating somebody to play hard. It's about focusing the motivation. And I think that's something that he's really had to work on uh, throughout the course of this NCAA tournament run is really focus the motivation on the right little things. You do the little things right, and you can, and you can maximize your potential. But the other thing that this team has to do is they got to look at it in two ways. Like, first, we want to go out and beat North Carolina. Like, you have to think about wanting to beat your opponent and focus your energy that way because there's another side of it that you can't help but to be human and let it creep in where it almost is that, that mindset of we can't lose this game. You know, we, we were already embarrassed in front of the brotherhood, right, the 70-plus former Duke Blue Devils that came back to see Coach K's last game at Cameron, and we lost in front of the brotherhood. They had to sit on the sidelines as everybody honored Coach K having lost to their rival in front of all, again, again, the brotherhood that matters. And I think that really motivated these guys. And look, when it's all said and done, uh, when, when the hallmark ending actually happens, cause that's just feel like, it feels like out how it's going. Uh, when the hallmark ending actually happens, you'll look back at that game and say, without that loss against Carolina, we're not here today. So I think they have an opportunity to kind of avenge that loss uh, with obviously another win over Carolina, but maybe finish this whole thing off with a championship. Yeah, I mean, what we've seen from this Duke team throughout the tournament has been so impressive compared to what we expected at the start of the tournament, particularly the depth across the lineup, five players in double figures in every game, you know, coming in and being able to depend on so many, especially considering their youth and their inexperience. On the other side, UNC, a team not everyone even thought would necessarily be in the tournament. So talk about how much they've improved over the course as well. What's the key for them to get the win? Well, it's funny. They, they, They had Armando Baycott playing at a high level. I mean, he's pushing near 30 double-doubles on the season. He's been unbelievable. He's been great. Guard play has been the, the challenge, right? And, and I think they realize that you don't have to have everybody be consistent. You can ride with one or two guys feeling it, and then you play to the hot hand. I think the biggest key to their success has ultimately been Brady Manick. And it's not that he has to score. He's a, he's a stretch four. He's in a pick-and-pop four. He's going to space the floor. You have to honor his three-point shooting ability, which means you're taking one of those big defenders and pulling them away from the basket. And if Duke gets caught up in any switching, you could be pulling Mark Williams away from the basket. You could be pulling Theo John away from the basket. I think that's where Carolina has the edge. The spacing's key because it allows Caleb Love and R.J. Davis to do what they do, which is just break you down off the bounce and make plays. The spacing wasn't there earlier in the season where they were occupying both blocks. Armando Baycott's going block to block. He's taking up a lot of space. They've, they've really grown throughout the course of this year to the point where everybody understands, similar to Duke, in the sense that everybody understands their role and they understand the value of their role. And for a guy like Brady Manick to space the floor, it almost allows Carolina to play 4-on-4. Four four. And 4-on-4 four four in the half court is much easier than 5-on-5. Five five. So the playmaking of R.J. Davis and Caleb Love, a lot of that is the byproduct of the emergence of Brady Manick. We've spent a lot of time talking about this game. We've spent a lot of time talking about the history of this rivalry. But I want to ask you now, John Crispin, ESPN college basketball analyst with me here on Spain and Fitz, about Saturday itself, the scene. And I actually quoted Coach K today when I was dressed as him on Around the Horn. If what you've done yesterday still looks big to you, you haven't done much today. So let's stop talking about yesterday and start talking about today, or I guess tomorrow, 
Yeah. Is, is it Michael Jordan? Is it every player from both teams? Is it every celeb? Is it Cameron Indoor final game on steroids? Yes, I, I think it is. Look, Eric Church canceled a, a concert. Yeah. Like, do you know <laughs> how much money you make by having a mm-hmm. concert? And he's like, redoing it for free. Dude, so he, he lost all yeah. that money and he's going to go. Yeah. I mean, that's an expensive ticket. And, and if you consider that, then you start to think of this first game, the semifinal game, as, as the near Super Bowl. It's crazy to think how important nationally, how, how recognized this game is. Because we already know about the matchup. And look, at ESPN, we, we've done a terrific job. And I, I, I say we because I'm here now, but it's not like I've had anything to do with this. But ESPN's done a terrific job of, of really blowing up this matchup. Like mm-hmm. every UCLA, or excuse me, UNC Duke game is an event. It, it's not just a rivalry. It's an event that you can't miss. And now you add the Final Four aspect of that. Then you add Coach K's final stretch, right? Here we are. This is the final stretch. He loses. He's done. There's so much on the line. And I I think, look, if you're Duke, you really have to maintain focus because it's going to be so easy. Look, it's also in the big easy. This isn't like uh, when when the Final Four was in Minneapolis and everybody pretty much stayed indoors. Like, you're going to see people. You're going to feel it. Mm -hmm. And I think what you feel has to be something that you temper along the way. And you have to be able to ride out that first five minutes because it's going to be crazy. You're going to look around and you're going to see more royal blue and powder blue than anything else. Uh, People that don't even care about basketball are going to be picking a side. And I think the the event that it is will be the the thing that's remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got a you've got a a trip to the championship on the line, but add in that everyone and their mom is watching, and Michael Jordan is courtside staring at you as you're trying to have the best game of your life. It's you know, I think honestly, I think the the championship on the line, the trip to the championship. I almost think that's afterthought. I I honestly think it's an afterthought, which actually may help this. (laughs) Yeah, but it may actually help the game. Right. It may actually yeah. help the game where you maintain focus on the here and now as opposed to what this leads to. Um, as crazy as that sounds, it, it may actually help. Yeah, that, no one's going to look past this game, that's for sure, although it might end up being nope. a miracle on ice situation if this game blows the uh, national title game <laughs> yeah. out of the water. Uh, we're talking to John Crispin. You can follow him at John Crispin ESPN. Let's look to the other game that has been, of course, very much overlooked in the furor yep. around UNC Duke, Kansas-Villanova. I think a lot of people also just are kind of certain or feel certain Kansas is going to get the W because Justin Moore's absence. Uh, is that it? Is that is that the game decider right there? I mean, like, I feel that way, but I've been wrong the entire tournament. Like, I didn't have <laughs> Kentucky losing to St. Peter's. I sure as anything didn't have Purdue losing to St. Peter's. And there were a ton of other upsets that I never would have predicted. So who really knows at this point? You know, it comes down to so many things, uh, these, these variables that you can't even quantify. Uh, so ultimately, yes, anything can happen. But this was a limited Villanova team to begin with. I mean, they're really only going six, maybe seven deep. So now you take Justin Moore, arguably their best player, off the floor. And look, I get Colin Gillespie's been great. He's your experienced guy. He's your leader. But since he's been injured, he, he hasn't been the same. He's not getting by anybody. And I have a tough time thinking that he can manage the switching with a Kansas team who's experienced, balanced, and deep. They've got size, and they will work those switches and find that matchup and attack Gillespie as much as possible. I know they would because that's what I would do. It's really simple. I've seen him. He doesn't have the burst. I think they're going to attack Gillespie. And without Justin Moore on the floor, it's really hard to hide him. 
So I do think the, the limited lineup for Villanova, even though these guys can play 40 minutes and they'd be fine, they're going to control the tempo, control the pace of this game, the balance and the depth and the physicality of Kansas and the much-improved defense of Kansas is going to make it too much of a grind. I, I do think Kansas wins. I think it's obviously a respectable game. I don't think it's a blowout. But I just have the toughest time thinking in a Final Four situation to go to a national championship game, the lone one seed left, you lose to a very limited Villanova team without their best player. Yeah. Jay Wright, though, has obviously done a lot in the past and his ability to control tempo and get his team to execute on the principles that are required for them to beat more talented teams has been impressive in previous years and has been this tournament long as well. Is it possible that he's actually underrated despite having two titles already? Yeah, I think he is. I mean, the fact that there's an argument as to whether Villanova is a blue blood or not, I think that kind of points to that. Where where we almost, from our perspective, the the silly nonsensical narratives that we create, you, you almost believe, well, it's not one of the best programs in the country. They've just been really good as of late. And yeah, they have, but it's been over a decade, and they've got three championships. And all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second, this is a this is a program that is legit on the national stage year in year out regardless of what level of talent you think they have. I think what hurts Jay Wright is that he wins with less. And and mm. that should be one of the more remarkable things about him. But, look, we're in a world of, of what you can sell. And they don't have that national sex appeal, if you want to call it that. Like, right. they don't have a Zion Williamson. They don't have a lottery pick on that team. They've had some in the past. They've had some, some first-round draft picks. Obviously, Jalen Brunson, Cal Bridges. Like, they've had good players but none of them were the guy that you, you looked for their highlights on SportsCenter. They still don't have that, but they just go out and win. So I think the way they win almost keeps Jay Wright in this comfortable spot there in the main line of Philadelphia where you know, enough people are talking about him, but probably not enough. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like where it's, yeah. He's getting a lot of credit for what he does, but not, a lot, not enough credit for doing it as well as he does it at this level to be back at the final four with the group he's got right now. It's remarkable. The other thing is he's just downright cool. Yeah. I mean, very cool. (laughs) No one, no one dislikes Jay Wright. Mm -hmm. You find a ton of anti Dukers, right. And anti coach K group. You find a ton of that. You find a ton of people that don't like bill self. I don't know if anybody doesn't really like Hubert Davis. I don't, I don't think it's possible. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's a great guy. He's early in college. Yeah. Yeah. He's too nice. But Jay Wright's one of those guys where it's like, it's it's really hard to dislike, and in no way can you disrespect Jay Wright, considering the fact that Completely he has done agreed. this with far less than most everybody Completely else. Agree. Well, it's going to be an absolutely incredible Final Four on both sides, women's and men's. Uh, appreciate your time, yep. John. Enjoy the games. Hey, my pleasure. You too. Spain Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, Doc Rivers had some words for James Harden last night. Cause for concern? Or were we focused on the wrong words? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I have no idea what Dawn Staley said at halftime, but it's working. <laughs> totally. Louisville pulling away. It's now 51-38, Gamecocks in the third, about four and a half to play. Destiny Henderson showing up, Zaya Cook showing up. Uh, This South Carolina team, if they could play offensively like this and tie that to what's already been unbelievable defense all tournament long, they are very, very dangerous. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, 
Tron Davenport in for Fitz tonight on this Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget, the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in Sunday as the Bucks host the Mavs, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. We'll get to NBA. Just a quick note, uh, we got some news from Field Yates today on Twitter. Dolphins cornerback Xavier Howard a new five-year deal with over $50 million in new money with the Dolphins. Mm. Part of the deal, he gets the most guaranteed money for a cornerback in NFL history. So the uh, the Dolphins looking to spend, uh, and that's good news for Xavier Howard as he makes, uh, makes that deal. I guess they agreed to a restructured contract prior to last season with an understanding that this new deal would be discussed this offseason, and they take care of him uh, getting that piece under contract for another five years. Uh, Teron, let's talk more Doc Rivers. Mentioned it to Wendy earlier, and I thought people were focused too much on when he said it was more James than the bench. I don't think he meant that as a shot at it's James' fault. It was more, there were a lot of missed shots, and most of them were taken by James Harden, Mm -hmm. not the bench. Mm -hmm. What he said in addition to that that I found more interesting and more relevant to the larger conversation of what happens to this Sixers team is that we did a lot of standing around on offense. That is a thing that can happen if you're running an offense through James Harden and he's not in super striker killer mode, which he is in less often than he used to be. Yeah, and that's the issue. You know, a lot of times you you have – where he's just dribbling and dribbling and dribbling, and everybody's just like, "Yo, what's up? Like, what, what are we gonna do?" That's an that's a clear issue. But then even when they do have the plays, you know, they they like to run that that pick and roll, right? And you know, they'll get the matchup they that they want. You know, Harden uh, get a big man, and he'll dribble and dribble and 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 pull up, and he'll miss the shot. So it's just like when they're getting the matchups that they want. They have to be able to take advantage of it. And then, like, like you said, you can't have the standing around. And especially, I know that has to eat away at Doc Rivers, you know, who's a point guard at heart. heart. So you want to see the basketball flowing around and having different things be set up. So that way, you know, you could get easy buckets. And they're, they're not getting that. And that was supposed to be one of the things that Embiid would get a lot more of with Harden being in, in, the, uh, in the lineup. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier, too. When when Harden arrived, there was a lot of kumbaya. He's not the guy you guys said he was. This is fantastic on day one. And I wanted to be like, slow your roll. He's a very different guy on day one through whatever day until he decides he wants out, and then he's faking fat and going to strip clubs. But, you know, you got a 102-94 loss to the Pistons in a game that looks like this down the stretch. And as Wendy pointed out, they've had too many games where they have not been able to finish. And this Mm. does not look like the cream of the crop in the East anymore. It's hard to say who is because there is so much that changes and shifts for so many teams when the postseason arrives. But the Heat are looking stronger. The Bucks are looking like world beaters. Um, you never know what's going to happen with the Nets. But, I mean, this Sixers team, there was a lot of talk around, oh, man, I can't believe they got James Harden. It's a wrap. And it is not a wrap for me. It's going the opposite direction. Yeah, and actually, you know, they've, they've fallen a bit in the standings. So it has gone the opposite mm-hmm. direction. There's still time to, to get it back together. But it's not just Harden. I mean, you got to look at the bench, too. Uh, obviously, the yeah, focus of that trade, right? Bad. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. the focus of the trade obviously was Ben Simmons for Harden. But I think losing Drummond and, and losing uh, Seth Curry, Curry, you know, to have that yeah. offense off the bench and, and that shooting ability, that has that has hurt them a, a bit, you know, with their second group. 
Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, Tron Davenport in for Fitz tonight. So as we continue to watch very closely to what the standings look like in the East as the regular season wraps up, um, there's also a really big matchup tonight in the West and really big in terms of maybe two teams that probably ain't going that far in the postseason, but it's going to help us figure out what some of the matchups are, and that's Pelicans at Lakers, 10.30 Eastern game tonight. These two teams taking you know shots at each other uh back and forth as they look to make make a move into the right position right now the lakers are on the outside looking in pelican sitting at number nine at 33 and 43 in the east right above the the spurs at 31 and 45 uh lakers have uh, lost the tiebreaker with the spurs so they're at 31 and 45 as well but they are right now in 11th wouldn't even be in the play-in that LeBron hates so much. He said whoever invented it should have been fired. You know he's counting on the play-in now, Teron. <laughs> yeah, he has no choice but to count on it. I mean, as bad as this team is. So this is uh, going to be an interesting game tonight. I mean, it's very likely that he's back and, and as well as AD. So uh, it kind of tells you the, the state of desperation there. Yeah, we've got that game tonight. Also, Grizzlies Suns certainly one to keep an eye on. I don't know how at sixty-two and fourteen, anybody could be your front runner other than the Phoenix Suns, but they do not get a ton of respect uh, compared to some of the other teams that have stars that get more conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, so we will certainly see what. And I don't know. A lot of people are like, oh, Grizzlies only have a shot to go anywhere in the postseason if Jaw is out. Because they're so good without him. <laughs> like some <laughs> absurd 19-2 and two or whatever it is without their superstar. We'll keep you updated on that. Also, this Final Four game as it rolls on tonight. But coming up, got some NFL stuff to get into, including uh, the latest in bad headlines for the Washington Commanders. They've been in the news for all the wrong reasons. And as Congress is investigating them for one problem, they happened upon another problem. We'll get into the latest allegations next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a Friday, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Keep you updated. Louisville, not out of it yet. 54-48 South Carolina as the third quarter is coming to a close. So Louisville putting up a fight, even as Don Staley's team is trying to uh, punch their ticket into the national title game. We got Stanford UConn later tonight. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Commercial Insurance protects small businesses with affordable coverage options. Quote today at progressivecommercial.com. Let's head out to Jeremy Fowler, ESPN NFL reporter. He's going to recap a bunch of stories floating around the NFL this week. Uh, Bobby Wagner headed to the Rams, Jeremy. The deal worth $65 million with incentives. What do you make of Wagner's decision to end up with the Rams and how the Rams are building their team this year? Yeah, I think playing the Seahawks twice a year is a little bit of extra motivation for Wagner, but really the pull was uh, a Super Bowl winning team and the West Coast. You know, this is an L.A. guy. He grew up there. Um, so many people around the league expected the Rams to be the favorite for Wagner. Uh, but I was told the Baltimore Ravens made a good push. You know, they had him in for a visit, made a, a compelling offer, tried to sell him on, you know, the his, his role in the defense and the tradition at linebacker. Uh, what they've done with linebackers in the past at, at that place. So uh, that was appealing, but in the end, you know, L.A. always kind of had the foothold on them. Yeah, and, and you know, the Rams having space and room for him is sort of surprising uh, based on how we've seen <laughs> them go all in over the last year. Yeah, you know, the, the, the uh, Rams treat the salary cap as a bit of an illusion. You know, they kind of <laughs> they kind of bend it to, uh, to their forces. But, um, you know, because he – a lot of these teams can be careful and can create 
salary cap space by redoing contracts or, you know, and they lost yeah. some guys too in free agency and uh, Andrew Whitworth retired. Yeah. So they had a little space to work around. Um, you know, really this is a deal that's, you know, uh, it, it to make 65 million over five would be, would be really hard for Wagner to do. I think it's more of like a two year deal somewhere above 20 million uh, and then kind of wait and see with the rest. Jeremy Fowler with me here on Spain and Fitz. Bruce Arian steps down. Uh, conspiracy theorists uh, are, are quick to jump on the story that Brady retired simply to move the Bra- uh, the Tampa Bay uh, front office to make this decision. Um, let's talk instead about what it means for this team as a football team. Obviously, Todd Bowles yeah. has been a head coach before, but not in a good situation. How much of a transition is this, or is this about as smooth as it gets considering the consistency across the staff besides Arians? Yeah, if we're just talking about the on-field transition, it's about as smooth as it gets. I mean, you know, Todd Bowles has the respect there in Tampa. I know that even uh, aside from Bruce Arians uh, potentially stepping down, like around the coaching cycle in January, the Bucks internally would have had Bowles ranked very highly if they were picking a coach. You know, they kind of do like that internal thought of who the hot candidates and Bowles just on his own was very high. Um, so this is a guy that Tampa wanted, and uh, it helps that he was you know sort of Bruce Arians' top lieutenant for for the better part of uh, a decade, really, uh, dating back to their days in Arizona. So it just made a lot of sense. You know, Byron Leftwich, who could be a head coach in the future, but, you know, for now he can kind of hunker down with Tom Brady and they can handle the game plan. And Todd doesn't really have to meddle in that. He can just kind of be an overseer and do his thing with the defense. You know, I asked Shefty this and he kind of downplayed it. Is there any part of Bulls that will struggle to make this team his own not only with Arians in the front office but also because of the timing of this he doesn't get to insert any new staff really um and it's not a true off season as 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 a new yeah. coach you know that's that's possible certainly that I think that's a consideration but the the roster and the construction of the team was really wasn't going to change regardless of who was in there just cuz you know this is a team that uh, pound for pound has one of the, the best rosters in the NFL um, they're pretty well set at most positions, and, and then you have Brady uh, leading the charge. So uh, they were in good shape with that. And, uh, you know, Bulls can have his influence on, uh, you know, the, maybe some subtle things. I, I could see them running the ball more. Uh, you know, Bruce Arians has an MO, and that MO is to have a big, strong arm quarterback, you know, reaching back and throwing deep. And so uh, that can t- be tweaked a little bit. You know, Bowles is a defensive guy, so he can implement the run game a little more. Uh, and I do expect to see that to some extent. Jeremy, we've talked about so much about the Washington football team, I guess the commanders now, uh, yeah. for reasons not related <laughs> to football. And not surprisingly, Ron Rivera said he's, he's, he's tired of them being the target yeah. of bad news. I, I can't blame him for saying that, but it's also dicey for him to even acknowledge, understanding that most of that bad press is the result of ownership. Dan Snyder uh, uh, under investigation for a toxic workplace. And now that Congress is poking around looking for that information, they're now finding financial improprieties that they want to investigate further. What can you tell us about this latest development into the Washington commander's culture? Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's just another hit uh, for Washington. You know, it's, um, it's something that I know people around the league have been trying to follow closely. Um, just, just trying to wonder what the future is for Dan, Dan Snyder. You know, Roger Goodell said last week that Snyder was not part of the, the day-to-day operations. And I've seen some reports that have suggested that he might be actually a, a part of that still in some capacity. So there's just, uh, as far as the direction of the franchise at the top, there's not a lot of clarity. And so, you know, Ron is trying to do his best to uh, bring some, some stability there, but he can only do so much. When, you know, you talk to 
most people around the league, they'll acknowledge, hey, the the ownership component really has a trickle-down effect to the success of the rest of the franchise. And if you don't have stability there, you, you really have no chance. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that there's still some questions about exactly what role Snyder has. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, figureheads that I believe are pretending to be running the ship while he's still in charge. What would it take for him to be removed and for a sale to be forced? Because it sure feels like the NFL, instead of moving that uh, in that direction, has instead facilitated him gaining more power uh, of the franchise in terms of the minor- minority owners that he was aided in helping remove from the picture. Yeah, you know, I think maybe with the allegations, uh, you know, that came out about a toxic workplace, you know, if, if there were um, that that's something that could could move the NFL you know, off of him, if there's some stronger, um, or if, there, if that storyline continues to develop to the point where, you know, the evidence is just too hard to ignore, and maybe they're already there. Um, so it's, it's weird. It's like they haven't, since Jerry Richardson in Carolina, you haven't really seen an owner just sort of unseated like that. And, you know, for some reason, there hasn't been momentum in Washington for that. So, you know, it's just really hard to say what, what would prompt uh, the owners to, to move on that when, it seems he's untouchable in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it does feel like it would have to be almost like widespread sponsors and money-related issues that finally get the NFL to move, which did happen with one of the longtime sponsors of, of the Commanders uh, pulling out yeah. of their deal, but uh, not enough yet, I guess, to, to overcome whatever it is that binds all of these owners together, whether it be uh, uh, a fraternity or blackmail. I'm not sure at this point, honestly, with some of the <laughs> accusations that go unpunished. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain talking to Jeremy Fowler, ESPN NFL reporter. What are the Panthers going to do with their quarterback situation because we've heard that the investment into Darnold makes them reticent to move on. At the same time, they're sort of acknowledging that he ain't the guy. Uh, will we see him still lead this team this season? I think there's a good chance of that at this point, you know, because their options are limited. I mean, unless they go the Kenny Pickett route or maybe Desmond Ritter or Cincinnati, you know, Malik Willis most agree that even though he's got the highest upside in the draft of quarterback, that he needs a year uh, behind the scenes at least. And so, you know, unless you get a guy you think is ready-made right now, uh, which is entirely possible, then, then Sam's probably the guy at this point. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo uh, could be an option for them. I, I don't sense a lot of interest in Baker Mayfield, so yeah. Garoppolo could be more viable for them. But um, he's got the shoulder surgery that that really could hold him out until July or even August. So teams don't really know what they're getting there yet. That's an issue. Can he pass a physical? You know, all those things have sort of stalled his trade market. So, you know, their, their options aren't great. I think they feel like, hey, if we – load up with a better roster, stay healthy, Christian McCaffrey can help, that uh, Sam Darnold could, could produce a little better. And early in the year last year, he was pretty good before it all fell apart. So, you know, I think they're hopeful. Yeah, it's wild how many guys' stock went up just doing nothing while Baker went out and played hurt, and it seems to have completely erased mm-hmm. his marketability. I know. And, that... and it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy. But congrats to Mitch Trubisky and company on making good on, on the, uh, the uh, gap <laughs> Yeah, that's that a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I know, like, talking to, like, player agents who were like, man, I don't know if I want to tell my guy to go out there and play hurt when you saw what happened to Baker Mayfield. You know, yeah. like, he, tr- he tried to take one for the team and it backfired. Jeremy Fowler's with me here. We're out of time. So last question quickly for you as we talk about the quarterback market. Colin Kaepernick's going to hold an exhibition throwing event with some draft-eligible players during the halftime of Michigan spring game tomorrow. Uh, NFL club personnel can go watch the event. Uh, at this point, do you actually picture him coming back to the league? And if not, is it still about the quote-unquote distraction or is it more about time spent away now? 
Yeah, at this point, I, I would think it's more time spent away. Um, and, and, you know, he always had the ability, so it was never the issue. Before, it was probably more of the distraction. I think we're probably past that at this point. Um, it just it just it requires a team to take a chance on it, you know. And I'm sure he'll look great in the workout, and that's typically uh, something that he does well. And so, you know, Seattle is a team that uh, people have watched on that just because Pete Carroll's kept in touch with Kaepernick, mm-hmm. talked about it publicly. I don't think that they would make that move at this point, but, I mean, we just talked about Carolina. Maybe they need to add somebody, you know. Like, I, I just think it requires somebody to – um, be willing to, to stretch themselves on that and, and take a chance. But I don't know if the workout's going to change much in that regard because, you know, they've seen him worked out and they, they know he has talent. Right. It's a shame about sports window being so small because certainly I think the climate has changed enough that it would not be difficult to add him. But like you right. said, it might right. be just too too much time away. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for the insight. Really appreciate the time. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, Louisville, South Carolina is in the fourth quarter. We'll update you on that game and then get you set for UConn Stanford. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on a Friday. Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport hanging out with me, filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Did you know you can listen to Spain and Fitz commercial-free? That's right, you can listen to all your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. Uh, update here on this Louisville-South Carolina game, the first half of the women's Final Four games tonight. Gamecocks-Dana had 63-54. It seems like every time Louisville tries to pull closer, they just can't get a stop, as South Carolina's been answering a uh, really nice night from Emily Engster after she was struggling. 18 points for her. Haley Van Leth still sitting at four, which is just unbelievable that Louisville's even in this game with that number next to her name. Aaliyah Boston playing like uh, she can and does. 18 points for her. But a nice rounded effort from South Carolina. Zaya Cook with 10, Beal with 12, Henderson with 11. Uh, this looks like it's going to go South Carolina's way, but still five and a half to play in the fourth. We got Stanford-UConn a little bit later, and uh, Chanel Gumake was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. And I want to remind you that she did go to one Stanford (laughs) University. But here's what she had to say about a surprising answer to who had more to gain from tonight's game if they got a win. This might sound crazy, but I do think it is UConn just because Stanford's the defending champs. The expectation is for them to repeat. Also, if you look at their, you know, their squad, they've returned four out of five starters, which in the days of transfer portal booming, that's impressive. Uh, I think really it is, it's UConn because they're trying to reassert their dominance in a year where Paige Becker's missed a number of games and try to say, hey, we're still here. We're still the top team in women's basketball, even though Stanford's going to win. Oh, she slipped that in at the end there. I am very torn on this one, and I have been torn on uh, the last couple UConn games. I've really struggled to figure out uh, who I think is going to win, Teron, because uh, the way that that AZ Fudd and Paige Beckers have been playing in the last couple games, especially down the stretch in clutch time, has been huge. you got Paige Mm -hmm. playing 10 minutes away from where she grew up, right outside the Target Center in Minneapolis. And Stanford, while they've been fantastic, they've struggled with turnovers, uh, and they haven't shot well from three. Uh, So both teams are returning a whole lot of talent from last year, and even though Stanford was the defending champs, I've seen this UConn team grow throughout the tournament. Yeah, they've definitely grown. You got Fudd dropping those threes. You know, she's Mm -hmm. a really good three-point shooter. And I I think the main thing, like, they're they're healthy. You you know, the the one thing that I do – 
uh, have a little bit of concern about is just, you know, all the ISO ball because it's kind of like what we talked about earlier with, with Harden, right? Yep. Too much dribbling and, and everybody else is kind of standing around. So you want to avoid that. And, and especially, you know, going against this this uh, Stanford team, you know, you, you got uh, Cameron Brink, who is, is such an, an excellent shot blocker. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's going to be an interesting matchup. I, I'll say that. It's going to be a good one for sure. UConn, the only non-number one seed in the Final Four, which is wild when you're talking about a team that's been to 14 straight Final Fours. But so many injuries really uh, affected their game all season long and really made it tough for them to click with the uh, with the all uh, lineup that they have. And now you know they're without Dorka Juhas, so that that's really tough that you know you finally get healthy in terms of your stars and then another one of your starters goes down so that is going to be quite a game again 9 30 eastern on espn from everything we're here in tehran on social media the bird and tarasi show is perfect television uh and they will be watching this one and you can bet as we got uconn alums uh that uh-huh. there's going to be even more insight probably some geno stories maybe some geno impressions as we get to that Stanford-UConn game. So keep an eye out for that on ESPN and check in at the end of this South Carolina-Louisville. Again, 63-54 right now with the Gamecocks up about five minutes to play. All right, it is April Fool's Day. And, you know, most of the ones I saw today were pretty disappointing. They were the really obvious, I'm retiring, I'm coming back, I'm switching teams. LeBron said he was done for the season today. Uh, Carly Lloyd said, you know, I, I changed my mind, I'm coming back. Which, by the way... Tom Brady did, quote-unquote, retire on April Fool's Day in 2019 and then, you know, joked about, ha-ha, I'm not. Well, then he actually did that this year. So uh, it's not quite as funny anymore, Tom, when you're actually pulling that BS. Uh, Mark Cuban really famously, years ago, hired a fake referee and staged a (laughs) full-on fight on the court. And what was wild is that players, the Mavs head coach at the time, they did not know it was a joke. They were pulling them off each other. Uh, So good. That, That one... I like that's yeah. real dedication. And you yeah. had a friend that had real dedication to the prank today. Oh man. Yeah. Former Tennessee Titans, Oakland Raiders. And well, yeah, he was, he was with the Oakland Raiders and, and the Vegas Raiders. So we could say it that way. And he was, he was with the Washington football team, Will Compton, a, a linebacker. He now has a podcast busting with the boys. And he has always been a jokester, man. The last three years that, that I've known him, he always had jokes in the locker room and, their podcast is hilarious. So if you follow them on Twitter, if you're not, you need to follow them at underscore Will Compton, C-O-M-P-T-O-N. He is hilarious. And he had a, a an April Fool's joke today. I didn't fall for it. Some people did. But it was hilarious because he said, after laboring all night, she's finally here. I can't believe this perfect little one is ours. Willa Earlene Compton, born at 6.32 a.m., 4.122. You are my world. Now, normally you would look at that and say, hey, man, congratulations. That's an awesome accomplishment. Welcome to fatherhood. But here's one problem. His wife is pregnant. Will is white and his <laughs> wife is white. <laughs> so the baby is black. It's, oh, man. <laughs> I That'll was cracking. That- <laughs> and, and the thing that's so hilarious about it is is in the comments like you have people literally saying you know hey congratulations yeah man. <laughs> i mean you don't want to make it awkward and be like hold on let's you know it, it, he's he's gonna let you know if there's something going on yeah oh man wow yeah. that's a good that's a good one spain and fitz tron davenport in for fitz tonight um you remember famously anthony davis talked about maybe should he should he cut off his unibrow even had a poll 
Um, he never did. That unibrow is still intact. Um, Julian Edelman posted a graphic that looks very legit, but clearly mm-hmm. was a prank about how he's signing with the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia football posted a uh, shot of the championship trophy where it looks broken. Oh, shoot. I didn't yeah, see that. Yeah. Uh, wow. Like, yeah, we've got Bills Mafia, uh, Buffalo Bills introducing their new city jerseys, and they are definitely not. Uh, they've got flames on the socks what? and a, uh, a buffalo on the helmet that looks like more of a buffalo wing than it does a buffalo. <laughs> uh, those are not real. Um, FIBA basketball announced instead of uh, sportsmen like or tech fouls, they would have red and yellow cards like soccer. That is not true. Uh, so a lot of people trying to get in on the jokes. I didn't get fooled by any today, unless you count that I read in one place that you could see the Northern lights across the Northern big cities of America tonight. And I even Googled it to make sure I wasn't being fooled. I saw it in many other places and people still told me it was April fool's joke. So I still don't know whether it's true, but at midnight Hmm. tonight, I think I'm going to go outside just to see, I mean, why not? Yeah, why not? Hey, I mean, there's one way to find out, right? And I guess if I don't see him, I'll consider myself duped. Although, you know, it's pretty tough. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.